At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Money starts right now. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's lineup is Dan Nathan, Jeff Mills of PNC, Karen Fireman, and Guy Dami. Energy burning out today, the worst performing sector as oil gets slammed after President Trump says he is pressuring OPEC. We've got all the details. Plus, check out shares of Tesla. The stock getting crushed today, hitting a fresh 52-week low. It's lowest in two years, in fact, now well below its support. So how low can it go? The traders will weigh in. But first, we start off with the China wreck. The Shanghai Composite having its worst week of the year after what has been an epic rebound for Chinese stocks. This after its government said it would pare back stimulus for the economy. At the same time, companies here in the U.S., like 3M and Intel, have been pointing to a renewed slowdown in China, impacting their earnings. So is this China's warning to the world? And with U.S. stocks at all-time highs, can the rally continue if China pumps the brakes? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I've been looking for a reason for our markets to go low for a while. This is as good a reason as any. But you go back to sort of last summer when the Chinese market started to go down in earnest. We probably lagged them by, I don't know, two and a half, three months. So if this is the beginning of something, maybe we're finally looking at the sell-off late May, early June. But this is, again, this is a one-week situation. Markets down 5% after rallying 35%. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I happen to think the Chinese will continue to throw as much money at their markets as they need. With that said, the commentary from Intel, from Triple M, it has to be concerning. I know the S&P is effectively at an all-time high. Everything looks great. But beneath the surface, there are clearly mm-hmm. some problems. But then we have Ford saying that the Chinese market Which is, is stabilizing. Which right? Starbucks. Starbucks, exactly. So for every one negative data point out of earnings on China, you got the positive. Well, you're going to get a big one. I mean, we started the year out on January 2nd where Apple dropped the hammer on Chinese demand as it relates to their products. And that really got things going, I think, a little bit. Obviously, that worked into the bottom that we saw. I think it's really important to focus on the stimulus. Like you said, that's why the Shanghai Composite sold off. Fear that they're going to kind of pull back from that. Think about what they did. They kind of had to do that, just like global central banks had to get more dovish, had to pivot over the last few months to orchestrate this sort of rally in risk assets. I'll just make one point, though. You have the dollar index, the Dixie, at 98, at a a 52-week high. You have the 10-year Treasury yield below 2.5%. Again, those two things don't speak to some level of confidence as far as global growth. We know that the IMF had cut global growth expectations earlier this month to below 3%. So if China's 6.4% for 2019 growth is going to be less. That's going to be a problem for the global economy. It's going to be a problem for risk assets. I, I think it's a really good point about the dollar. You think about the dollar as the largest or the, the Chinese currency is the largest component of the trade-weighted dollar. So if China actually does pull back stimulus a bit, I think they might pull it back, not eliminate it. But if growth is okay and they pull back stimulus, that probably supports the Chinese currency, which probably on balance weakens the dollar. That's probably good for multinational earnings, as long as the Chinese story isn't falling apart, and I really don't think it is at this point. Karen, you worried at all? Uh, I mean, 5% is a big move, but to your point, it's off a gigantic move, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if you just step back a little bit, when was the last time they were there? I don't know, very recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know that you can really, I I mean, to me, the more important date of the day was our GDP number, which, uh, you know, everyone thought there were so many reasons why the quarter could be bad, weather, terrible, the government slowdown, and still to have this number, that's pretty amazing. So... 
I don't know, if you talk about a global slowdown, I think we're, I, I don't, I don't, we're big enough to sort of help others out. So here's a question. I like when you ask questions yeah, on what fast money. So China's central banks, China's government unloads a lot of stimulus into the economy to help it as well as the markets. The markets go up. They say, you know what? Oh, it's working. It's working out so well. We're going to take, a, you know, take our foot off the pedal here. Could we have parallels here in the United States when it comes to the Fed and staying on the sideline to the point where the mar- you know, the market. I have a very strong opinion okay. on the Fed. They are gone. They're the gone. Fed is gone. Gone, gone, It gone. is not. When you look at what they said, they used to say data dependent. That makes sense. They're not even saying data dependent anymore. They're saying patient, which patient means is even if data doesn't go the right way, right? Even if data is hot, we're not going to do anything. We're going to go past this 2%. We're going to take, you know, we had symmetrical below two. We're going to allow it to go above two. And yet you see some of the inflation numbers are actually down. Even with this GDP up, the Fed is gone. It's interesting. I mean, there is inflation. There's asset inflation, ridiculous asset inflation. There's clearly energy. There's healthcare inflation. There's edu- mm-hmm. So there's inflation in all the wrong places. But, but Karen's right. In terms of the Fed, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm going to offend a lot of people here, they are data dependent. They're dependent on the NASDAQ going higher and the Dow Jones Industrial Average going higher. That's their data. And if you don't think it's true, just go back and look what happened in October into December. I mean, they, they, they turned on a dime because our market sold off. So by that definition, they'll never move. They can't move. But for Larry Kudlow, who I like as a friend and respect as an economist, for him to say after a 3.2 GDP print, however we got there, that there's still room for a rate cut, that's absolute madness. Well, economists might be generous there. I mean, let's be frank. I think maybe you want to call him a strategist or something like that, a political strategist. I mean, let's be frank, okay? We were just talking on the desk last night about Amazon. We were talking about, we were talking about inflation. What did they just do? They said they're going to use a portion of their profits, okay? Mm-hmm. So their EPS is going to be less, right? And they're afforded to do that because stock market has been bid up because interest rates are so low. And what happened? They're going to get you their goods faster. That is a disinflationary thing. Did you guys see Target down 5% today? Yeah. Did you see Wall? Walmart down right. 2% today. Those three companies have been massive disinflationary forces in this thing. So we may never get to these inflation targets. They can whine about what needs to be done to get it back up. It's never happening again. So, you know, to me, I mean, he's a phony economist, in my opinion, and and, and we shouldn't be Wait, listening so then, to that sort so of So that inflationary argument, does that say that then he's right? We should cut rates? No, because it doesn't matter. Unless we are going to be locked in this world. We're, it, you know, Karen, think about this, okay? In 2008, Fed funds was at 5.5%. In 2000, when we topped out, it was at 6.5%. So here, we just topped out at 2.5%. And these guys want to go lower. And look at how much sovereign debt is in negative-yielding territory all over the globe. So they're talking about a whole new economic regime that the world has never seen. And they, and this, this economist is going to be at the forefront of this, speaking against everything he's talked about for the last 25 years. Well, and to bring this back to what the Fed might do, I hate to say it, but I feel like this GDP report report is Goldilocks. It was good enough to keep the recession fears at bay, but you know you end up at a point where 165 basis points of the GDP report was trade related and it was inventory build. So I think the Fed during the next meeting they can point to stable growth, but it also gives them cover to be dovish enough. So I think that's probably what they're likely going to do. And the inventory build is absolutely, and it's fine if there's demand on the back end. But if we're pulling all this forward and the demand isn't there, and we're hearing to Dan's point, yeah, but we saw that exactly I, last I year in the first that. half. Of I know a lot of that GDP was inventory build in front of these trade headwinds. Exactly. It's exactly. Okay. So that's that's could be problematic. Could be very problematic. But right now everybody seems to be extraordinarily happy mm-hmm. with the print where the economy is. So given all this, 
where should we invest at this point? We're almost halfway through earnings season, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, the question is, can the markets go higher at these new highs? You know, I don't want to be blindly bullish because the biggest drawdown we've seen this year has been a little over 2%. You go back over the last 40 years, there have only been two years that haven't drawn down more than 5%. So we should mentally prepare ourselves for higher volatility. We have to. But I still like the breadth of the market. You know, it's not just FANG leading this market higher. You have 45% of stocks in the S&P 500 above 20% right now. To me, that feels pretty good. Got a news alert here out of D.C. President Trump just wrapping up his meeting with the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Kayla Tausch is outside the White House with the details. Kayla. Melissa, that meeting is still underway. The Japanese Prime Minister arrived about a half an hour ago. The two are currently meeting and some headlines from President Trump are crossing at this moment. On domestic issues, the president said that the GDP number out this morning was a surprise, albeit to him a pleasant one. He also declined to comment on whether his former White House counsel, Don McGahn, perjured himself uh, in terms of what he told the special counsel uh, on the Russia investigation and President Trump's actions there. On international issues, part of today's meeting is to talk about trade issues. Prime Minister Abe wants to take off the table any idea that tariffs on Japanese cars could be put into effect, and he really wants to ask President Trump to eliminate the steel and aluminum tariffs as well. Prime Minister Abe saying to reporters uh, in the White House today that tariffs will be part of discussions. President Trump saying that they will they will discuss trade. They will hope to make some progress on trade and potentially discuss a timetable for a bilateral trade deal. The two sides have been discussing that for several years at this point, uh, and progress has been slow. We'll see if anything comes out of this meeting. Uh, They'll also be discussing North Korea, Russia, and China, which a senior Japanese official tells me are common challenges for these two allies. We'll bring you more headlines, Melissa, as we get them, especially as they relate to some market-moving issues like potential auto tariffs. All right, Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche in front of the White House. So just to sort of recap all of this, we've got a a pending trade deal, trade deal not yet reached with Japan. We've got uh, the new NAFTA, which is up in the air, and we have not yet a trade deal with China. What does this uncertainty, where does that lead the markets? I don't think we're any different than we were 24 hours ago or or six months ago. I mean, yeah, we're closer to Japan. That's fine. China's a big, to me, that's the elephant in the room. And I don't think we're, my opinion, we're no closer now than we were six months ago. We can jawbone this thing all we want. Again, if you're the Chinese, why are you making a deal? String us along. That's what I would do if I were them. There's no, there's absolutely no reason. There's an election coming up when? November 20. You know Mm -hmm. why I know that? Because you've asked me twice over the last week and a half, and I remember things. I know. I asked you at least two times. Right. I I pointed that out. So, I mean, I would just, I would continue to do exactly what they're doing. Stay the course. Their markets have come back. Yes, they're down 5% over the last week, week and a half, but their markets are fine. They're throwing money at it. String the U.S. along. Everything will be fine. I had the pleasure of sitting on the halftime report desk today to fill in for the judge, and we had an interesting conversation. One of the traders put forth this notion that maybe this uncertainty about trade is actually better for the markets and actually having the certainty of a bad deal. You know, I mean, listen, maybe. I I don't know. I mean, like, let let me tell you what corporate officers who are deploying, you know, capital, they just got this great tax cut, uh, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever. They like visibility, right? And they like to be able to forecast how they're going to manage their businesses. And I think what 2018 showed us, at least in the financial markets, is that it did not translate, right, as far as companies were concerned, because they were unable to give very clear visibility as it relates to guidance. And I think we saw that this week. I think we had a different tenor as far as earnings season week over week. And, you know, from some very cyclical companies like Intel, Triple right. M, that sort of thing, that have that geographic Yeah, and it was too. Intel that said specifically yeah. dramatic <laughs> slowdown yeah. in China. 
Well, I think it actually could be a good thing for the market. You have all of these things going on at the margin. I think China trade probably resolves in a way that isn't too bad for the marketplace. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that that ends up being okay for the, that ends up being okay for the market. Still ahead, it is a huge week for earnings ahead with Apple set to report on Tuesday. We'll tell you how to lock in your gains ahead of the report. Plus, Tesla tanks. The stock is down nearly 30% this year. The traders say it's trading at a very critical level. We will explain. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla tanking today, down 5% as the electric vehicle maker deals with its earnings fallout and ongoing battle with the SEC. It hit its lowest level since January 2017, now broken well below its key support range that has been in play for the last two years. And on the flip side, Ford is surging after its earnings, having its best day in a decade. The automaker's market cap now surpassing Tesla's market cap for the first time in nearly a year. You've been doing some... uh deep dive into this. Yes, I've been looking at this thing that's interesting to me. We have a chart that's going to show us some Tesla bonds, the ones that trade uh, the most liquidly, against the stock for the year. So the thing that's interesting, you see the yellow line, which is flat, is basically the bonds moving up and down, up and down. The other line is the equity. And what that's showing us is last time, many times, the stock has been right where the bonds are. But now the stock's broken way through the bonds. Why aren't the bonds down? The reason the bonds aren't down is because bondholders, who I always believe are much smarter than the equity holders, believe that a some sort of capital raise is coming, some sort of equity raise would be the best thing for them. That would secure the bonds, that would secure technically, but that would put a, a floor yeah. under the bonds, which would be good for them. So they always know first, they're telling you a big raise is coming. I don't know if that's good or bad for the equity, honestly. Yeah, that's that the question is the at this question. Point. And what is the right amount of money? It's a 40 billion market cap now. It shouldn't be that difficult to raise a few billion dollars. But does that, do, do people throw in the towel or do people say, oh, now they have, you know, they have plenty of room to let the business run? In the past, an equity raise has not been a challenge for the stock, or at least not for the long in, term. In it, five or six different forms over the last two and a half years, I would say each time it's proven to be an opportunity because Elon Musk buys, and the mm-hmm. next thing you know, the stock's percentage higher than when it did the race. I think it's different this time for a, very, for a lot of different reasons, not least of which the stock is through levels we haven't seen in quite some time. A couple points. Great job by Chris Verone, who sat here the other day, yeah. you might recall, and he said there are no, what do you say, quintuple bottoms? You remember yes, that whole thing? quintuple bottoms. And then somebody put a quint thing up. Quint was, of course, the great captain of the orca in the movie Jaws, a great GIF. With that said, Tim Seymour has been short this thing, riding it good for him. 175 is now critical support. Not suggesting it gets there, but if you're looking for a level, that's it. So I suspect what's changed now is the story is just pretty muddled, right? And so we have the launch, you know, 
all those times in the lead up to this Model 3 release, that was the thing. That was the great white that they were going oh. after. <clears throat> you see what I did there? Yeah, I did. And so right now, though, it's out. It's kind of underperforming. Um, we don't know what the sort of demand is right now. And then the financials are kind of strained. I think if they do a capital raise, it has to come with some sort of strategic announcement. It has to come with some settlement with the SEC. I think it has to be a nice, clean package where they basically clear the decks for the next two years so they can go and execute. But one of the things different, though, if I can yeah. just add, they did that 15, 16, 17. It's 19 now. So other competitors have had five years mm -hmm. to get closer to building a, a real competitor to Tesla's product. Right. At this level, would you be more inclined to be long or short? For, Sophia, uh, so, well, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, for us, the outcome just seems too binary. I feel like as an investment, as a long-term investment, it's either going to go really well or it's going to go really poorly. And I feel like from a risk-reward perspective, that's not something that we're that interested in. I know the stock's down 30%, so maybe near term the downside isn't as much. But I continue to worry about the fact that they burn cash, mm -hmm. it's not showing up in profit growth, and eventually people start to tire right. and investors aren't willing to fund them at cheap levels. And then you have all the regular concerns. You have big competition uh, and so on and so forth. So for us as an investor, we probably stay away. Um, we just showed at the bottom of your screen a, a news flash. Uh, we've learned that the SEC and Elon Musk, Tesla, have reached an agreement over Elon Musk's use of Twitter. Remember, originally they had asked for an extension to April 30th. We're granted that extension. They've since reached an agreement. We've, we don't have the details yet, but apparently they have reached an agreement. So that business uh, should theoretically be behind Musk as well as the company. So that's one thing cleared out here. Yeah, so I, you remember they settled some suit, I don't know, something, he paid a $20 million fine, investors didn't care. The stock was much higher. I think what's really interesting about the price action this week was how orderly the sell-off has been since the earnings. Now, it hasn't seen an uptick, which may not sound orderly if you're long, but it hasn't been panicky for, you know, I mean, it's just kind of drifted into the close. Now, down 5% today felt like maybe near capitulation, um, but I think it will take some sort of announcement much bigger than this to get this stock going yeah. and back in the right direction. And this, by the way, still has to be approved by the judge, theoretically, but they have reached an agreement at this point. But back to the question. I like the question. The question because, I, because I like the question. Do you, do you under, are, I, you in my head? are you in I'm my in your head? head. This? this is just what you're going to say to me. If you flew in from Mars today. I wasn't going to say yes, that. Yes, you were. Keep going. And I you wasn't. saw Tesla. How would you trade the stock? No, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say, given where, given the support levels, it's right. breached. Okay, so if it came in from Mars. It's almost anyway. similar, very similar. If you came in from Mars, the support levels This is how I would trade it. And this is going to be counterintuitive to a lot of folks out there, but this I put my trading cap on. You buy it on a breakout on a close above 250, 255. Otherwise, you press your short, look for 175. That's how you trade it based on what happened today. Wow. You asked me a question. Yeah, yeah. I gave no, you I'm a just, cogent I'm answer. Underscoring the levels here. Mars. For more on Tesla and how much it could really be worth, head on over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. If we do this, how do we know it's going to end any differently than it did before? Well, we don't know how the movie ends, but the traders will tell you what the blockbuster could mean for Disney shareholders. Plus... We, we actually thought you were like a Yeti or something. <laughs> no, not that kind of Yeti. But the cooler stock is surging, and shares might be about to heat up. We'll explain. There's much more Fast Money right after this. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. 
Welcome back to Fast Money, Disney's hotly anticipated Avengers Endgame movie hitting the big screens this weekend, and it's already breaking records around the globe. Uh, Julie Borson's in Los Angeles with the details. Julia. Melissa, that's right. Record-breaking numbers from territories all around the world put Avengers Endgame on track for near an unprecedented $1 billion worldwide box office opening weekend. That would dwarf the current record, which was set by Avengers Infinity War last year with $640 million at the worldwide box office. Now, Disney just today reporting that Endgame's opening day is tracking towards $140 million domestically, saying that it's on track to gross about $300 million over the weekend. The film has already grossed over $150 million in China. Now, Avengers Endgame benefiting not just from rave reviews, a 96% positive rating from Rotten Tomatoes, but also positive word of mouth. Comscore's North America audience survey found over 80% of moviegoers would definitely recommend the film to their friends, and nearly 30% said they'd see the film again in theaters. Endgame is expected to help turn around the domestic box office, which is down over 16% so far this year, and to further boost theater stocks, which you see now are um, up pretty significantly year-to-date. Now, Disney is expected to dominate the box office this summer. Cowan saying that Disney has a murderer's row of films coming out, including Lion King, Aladdin, and Toy Story 4. And Disney is actually releasing almost half of all the movies coming out this summer with a budget of $100 million or more. Now, a massive hit from Avengers Endgame would not only be a win for Disney's studio, which spent a reported $400 million to produce this film, but could also really benefit Disney Plus, the streaming service that's launching in November, because Marvel and all the characters in Avengers Endgame will be featured heavily on that service. Guys, back to you. All right, Julia, thank you, Julia Warson. Of course, Disney shares soaring to an all-time high just this month as it unveiled details of that streaming service. I mean, the halo effect from all this positive, um, you know, the reviews, et cetera, around this Avengers is going to be really good for the streaming. Yeah, so it's not just about the studios. Yeah. As, as Julia just said, for, you know, five years, this stock has been trading between 190 and 120, waiting for this strategy to emerge. And since it emerged, since that Disney Plus announcement, the stock's up 20% in a straight line. The company's going to report earnings on May 8th. I think you really got to be careful chasing it here um, because they already told us they're going to incur a lot of losses to do this. But I think all the news as it relates to Hulu, I think it's all great. I think you want to buy this thing on pullbacks. Right. You know, we always talk about buy the rumor, sell the news. Mm -hmm. And the most obvious example of that is a big movie, you know, release that's about to come out. You look, the stock's gained, I don't know, $16 billion of market cap in the last five days, maybe six days. To me, this seems another classic buy the rumor, sell the news, meaning don't buy it in front of the movie now. 21 and a half, 22 times next year's. I mean, that's a staggering multiple for right. Disney based on based on Disney's history and just based on its peers. Maybe they deserve it. I don't know. But I think to Dan and Karen's point, I think you got to be really careful going into earnings. If you've enjoyed this ride, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking some money off the table in Disney here. All right. It is time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn on this Friday. Dan Nathan. Yeah, Apple's going to report Tuesday after the close. Stay tuned to OA. We're going to tell you how to protect it, but I wouldn't be chasing it here. Jeff Mills of PNC. This is less about what to own, and it's more about how to own it. Look at IJR for your small cap exposure versus IWM. It's exposure to the S&P 600, not the Russell 2000. It has a quality bias. It's outperformed over the long term, and it's likely to do much better in a down market. All right. Thank you for joining us, Jeff, by the way. Karen. <laughs> yes. So Target obviously down on the news that Amazon Prime is going to one-day shipping. We don't know when that is. We don't know how much it's going to cost uh, Amazon to do that. I think Target is overdone. I like it here. They're doing the right thing.
Ski. See Maria Ho yesterday? Yes. On the, on the, uh, the professional the pr poker the player. Poker on player. the power lunch. On the power lunch. And who, she, who did she give a shout out to? You. And what, pitch, what stock was she talking about? Your pitch on UNH. She watches the power pitch and she said, you know what, he did a nice job. UNH in the, into next week, peeps. That does it for us here on Fasty. Back at Monday at 5. Don't move. Options action starts right after this. <laughs> How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.